you have your Bibles this morning and you would, uh, turn them on or open them to 2 Samuel, the 18th chapter. 2 Samuel, chapter 18, and then also, if you would, just for a brief moment, find the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Uh, we have been looking at King David, and King David being uh, ran out of town by his own son, uh, King David has been forced to flee his son's enemy army. Uh, he has now come to the place where it's time to fight, time to take a stand against his rebellious son. And today I want to talk to you about the fact that God has a plan. Because even though we are in the book of 2 Samuel, today I want to talk to you about King David, but I also want to talk to you about the difference we see from an earthly king and a heavenly king. How an earthly king who did not want his son to die to get a heavenly king who willingly sent his son to die. How a king who did not go out to fight the battle compared to a king who did come to fight the battle. And so, as always, I just want you to know, though, that while we read this and we know how these things work out, we understand that King David wins. And while King David had full confidence in the Lord, we've read the Psalms, he didn't know for sure. Would this finally be why God judged him? Would this finally be why the sins of his past had come back to haunt him? When we read the Christmas story, we understand that it all works out, that Jesus is exactly who He says He is. But can you imagine the fear and doubt that would have been going on in everybody else in that story? Yes, they believe, but no matter who we are, as human beings, we struggle with doubt. We struggle with fear. We struggle with the uncertainty of what today and tomorrow brings. And so while we can read all of these stories in Scripture, we can understand the truths... Unfortunately for them, as they were living it, we have something that they did not have. We have the confidence of knowing how the mystery unfolds. And in Ephesians, the third chapter, the Apostle Paul, talking about the fact that God had called him into ministry, had given him this one wonderful task of preaching the gospel, makes this statement in Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 12. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purposes which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. While we know the gospel... Those who lived in the Old Testament could only hope for such a thing. While we read and know the gospel and what it means for us, the angels didn't know. It was the plan and purpose that God has always had 
to redeem you and I. And so while we come today to celebrate Christmas, whether you're here today in the middle of a mess, whether you're here today and you're saying this has been the best year we've ever had, or whether you're here saying, Jake, I just got to get through this year. It's funny that you should say that because next week in 2 Samuel, we're going to be looking at how to deal with grief and to move forward. Where we're at in our text next week for the first day of the new year. But this morning I pray that as you think about Christmas and you think about the battles that we are going to look at this morning to know that God is not surprised. That God has not been taken uh, by this without understanding. That God has a purpose and a plan. and You can trust Him. So if you would pray with me. Father, this morning as we come, Lord, I just ask that you would speak, not me. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work. Lord, that you would accomplish your purposes and plans. And Lord, if there's anything in my heart and my life that would grieve your spirit this morning, Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. I pray that you would remove it. Father, we thank you for the wonderful privilege to gather today, Lord, to celebrate you and everything you have done for us, even though we did not deserve it. And so, Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You're taking notes this morning. I want to show you a king who didn't go and a king who did. And so in chapter 18 of 2 Samuel, starting in verse 1, And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zariah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, You shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, will they care about us. But you are worth ten thousand of us now. For you are more help, now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. King David says, I'm going to go out to lead my armies. King David says, I'm going to go out and fight this battle with you. And the people say, No, we don't want you to go. I think this is very interesting because the same thing that got David into this mess, not going out to war, standing on a balcony, looking down at a woman, now the people are saying, don't go with us. Your life is too valuable to die on behalf of us. We know they were absolutely right. Because why? If you remember, Ahithophel's plan was what? Kill David... The rest will scatter. But what we see here in a passage of Scripture is that David understood something, that his life was valuable, that it was important to protect the king. And so he listened to the people and did not go. But now I want you to take just a moment and think what it would have been like when the angels heard that the king of kings and lord of lords was going to be born into the flesh. They had always known the existence of Jesus because He was always in existence. 
Everything was made by Him and for Him and through Him. And before He came into a manger, He was being worshipped by the angels. And we know that they did not know all of the purpose and plan of God. We need to get away from angel worship. right? We need to get away from this idea that angels know everything because only God knows everything. And so what we see here is, can you imagine when they find out the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is going to be born into the flesh? They're probably thinking, His life's too valuable. He's too precious. He's too amazing. That's why Paul writes in Philippians 2, he did not consider it robbery to take on flesh and to be humiliated and to be tortured and beaten and crucified. But yet we see how an earthly king was too valuable to die. But yet the king of kings was willing to come. In Matthew, the first chapter, in verses 22 and 23, it says this, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. You see, when we think about how valuable Jesus is, and how special He is, and how amazing He is, and how wonderful He is, as sinners, it should cause us to realize that His life was much too valuable to be shed for me. He was much too perfect and wonderful and amazing to have to take my sin and my shame on the cross. There is in no way a way that I should be able to compare myself with Him. The Bible says that scarcely will a good man die. Right? For most of us, we would probably die for our children or our grandchildren, but most of us would not even think about dying for our enemy. Or definitely someone that we do not think is valuable. But yet we see here that King David has appointed his armies. He's appointed his captains. He's got everything ready to go. But he doesn't. And friends, in the Christmas story, we see the exact opposite. While the Bible tells us that Jesus could have called down ten thousands of angels to take him off the cross, to defeat his enemies. That one of these days when Jesus comes again to destroy his enemies, that the armies of heaven are coming with him. He didn't. He came willingly, knowing that his life was so valuable, so perfect, so wonderful, that it would save us from our sins. Second thing I want to show you from this text this morning is not just a king who didn't go, but a father who wanted to spare his son. A father who wanted to spare his son and a father who sent his son. You see, when we read in verse 5, it says, Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. I want you just to stop and see the significance of this. King David had watched 
as Absalom connived and had his brother murdered. Absalom had been deceitful and tricked to get back into the presence of David. David had watched this man, this son of his, lead a rebellion against him, drive him out of his own kingdom, out of his own palace, out of his own home, into the wilderness, but yet as a father should. He loved his son. He loved him and he did not want to see harm come from him. Now this is a hard verse. Because all of us probably have people in our lives that we have wrote off. You don't have to admit it. You don't have to talk about it. But as far as you're concerned, they are dead to you. Some of those might even have been at your family gatherings. Some of them might be at work. Some of them might sit in this very building this morning. But I want you to see how significant this was. He starts by telling the three men in charge, you guys are over everybody and I want you to know that the people that you are over be gentle with Absalom. What that means is you should defeat his army. You should capture him. But do not kill him. Do not take the life of my son. Not only that, he said it were all of the people could hear it. That way, if somebody didn't understand the order, they had heard it straight from the king. That the king did not want his son to die. It didn't matter his mistakes. It didn't matter his failure. It didn't matter his past. When it came down to it, David wanted mercy for his son. But this son was wicked. This son was prideful. This son had went into his father's concubines and slept with all of them to humiliate his father. This man did not just want to defeat his dad. He wanted him dead, destroyed, ruined. This is not a man that you would want. We know the Bible talks about how beautiful he was and how wonderful his hair was and how he had had chariots of people to go in front of him and boast about him. This was one arrogant, selfish jerk. But yet this father says, I, I can't. I cannot be responsible. I don't want you to be responsible for my death. But yet when we think about the Christmas story, we think about the gospel, we see a father who sent his son knowing that he would die, planning for him to die. In Psalms 31 verse 13, talking about when Jesus would come, For I hear the slander of many. Fear is on many every side. While they take counsel against me, they scheme to take away my life. The psalmist is saying that when Jesus comes, they are going to scheme, they are going to take His life, but yet the Father sent Him anyway. Isaiah 53 verse 10, probably one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible when I think about the way God loves us. Isaiah 53 verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. 
He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, I don't want you to get this idea that God was looking forward to punishing and destroying our sins through the cruelty of Jesus. What it is saying there is he knew that that's what it would take to save you. And so he willingly sent his son knowing that he would die, knowing that he would suffer, knowing that he would go through all of things. Why? Because it would allow you to have a relationship with him. It would allow you and I to find forgiveness of sin. It would have us the opportunity to have hope and joy and peace and an eternal home with Him. You see, the love of the Father is one that says, I cannot let my son die. But the love of our Heavenly Father is, is I am willing to send Him for you. I am willing to send Him to save you. Jesus didn't have to die for Him. Jesus did not die for Him. Jesus died for you and for I. And so when we think about the story of a father wanting to protect his son even though he was wicked, the father sent the son even though he was perfect in every way. The third and final thing. We see a son who died because of sin. And we see a son who died to conquer sin. Starting in verse 6, we see the battle unfold. So the people went out into the field of battle against Israel. And the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And in the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. Now I want to stop right there because in three verses, 6, 7, and 8, all that has been building up, all of these chapters that we have been marching through leading to this great battle are summed up in three verses. And it's not even about the battle, really. It's about the fact that the terrain killed more of them than the soldiers. David had picked this place. He was outnumbered. He was outgunned. He didn't fight in an open field. He fought where the terrain could be beneficial to him and his men. And all of this is summed up in three verses. Why is that? I believe it is this. Because the battle belongs to the Lord. And while you and I make mountains out of our struggles, we make mountains out of our difficulties, we make mountains out of our battles, God's saying, I've already got it. I'm already at work. There are more important things for you to worry about than the fight that is to come, the struggle that is to happen. And what we see here in verse 9, though, we go back to the boy that is now a man, that is now the rebel king. Absalom. Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree. 
and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth. Amen, for bald is beautiful. Amen. Now a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. Now I don't want you to miss the significance of that between heaven and earth. Hanging from a tree. The son of a king. Totally vulnerable. Totally unable to get himself down. We know that the mule was very common for the king's sons to ride. This was not that the king's son had never rid a mule. If you remember when his, he was, his brother was murdered, the king's sons arrived on mules. And so what has happened is he's probably being pursued. He's probably trying to flee. And as he's looking back, looking at the enemies, looking about the opposition, he runs up underneath these branches and he gets caught in his hair. The mule keeps going and there he hangs between heaven and earth. And someone sees it and says, I'm not getting involved in this. That's the king's son. I'm taking this to Joab the king's right-hand man, the king's relation. Look at verse 11. So Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him? And why did you not strike him to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand to the king's son. For if our hearing the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king. And you yourself would have set yourself against me. He says, I'm no dummy. I was there when he told you And he told us, don't touch Absalom. Don't harm the king's son. And he says, and if I would have, when it all came out, you'd have turned against me. You'd have been the first one to say, this man deserves a punishment. And so in verse 14 it says, Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, could have been sharp sticks and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods and laid a very large heap of stones over him. And then all Israel fled, everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's monument. A couple things I want to show you today from this passage of Scripture. He says that he hung between heaven and earth on a tree. And I want you to think in the book of John chapter 3 
Jesus talking about His own death, the King's Son hanging from a tree, being lifted up between heaven and earth. In John chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus knew as He was living, before He had ever been born, that the cross was coming. The crucifixion was going to happen. And while one son was caught fleeing for his life, another son willingly came knowing he would be caught, knowing he would be betrayed, knowing he would be lied about, knowing he would be lifted up on that cross. But yet he came anyway. You see, we begin to see the difference in what a sinful, wicked man looks like and what a perfect Savior looks like. And when we come to celebrate Christmas, when we come on a day like today and we think about the birth of Jesus and we think about His mother and His father and the angels and the wise men and all of these things, and as they are figuring this out as they go, as they are hearing from the angels with little bits of what might happen and what's going to happen and how things are going to unfold, Jesus knew it all. He knew every detail and He had planned it willingly. What we see from this passage of Scripture I think is very significant is the fact that there were spears cast into His body. A king's son hanging from a tree. If you remember in John chapter 19 as Jesus has died upon the cross. In John 19 verses 33 and 34, And when they came to Jesus and saw that He was already dead, they did not break His legs, but one of the soldiers pierced His side with a spear. And immediately blood and water came out. You see, we begin to see the difference between what a king's son death looks like in the story of the gospel and a king's son in the Old Testament. Third thing I think that is significant from this passage of Scripture is that it says he died with no offspring. You say, well, Jake, I remember reading somewhere that he had some sons and some daughters. You're right, you did. But apparently they had all died. Whether in infancy whether as he fled, we don't know, but apparently all of his children were dead. And so he had built a monument for himself. Something made with sticks, stones, mortar. It's made. But when we think about Jesus' death, he did not die with no offspring. He died to be the first of many. He died so that you and I could join the family of God. Could be the church built together to celebrate, to honor, and to worship Him. And so while one king's son died for nothing, the king of kings died in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 for this purpose. And he shall bring forth a son... And you shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. 
And so this morning as we look at this tragic end to King David's son, a son that I'm sure that David, when he was born, thought, this is my heir. This, this will be the one that someday takes over the throne for me, that will rule the kingdom that I have been given by God. Has watched everything that is go on to destroy his family, to destroy his kingdom, to destroy his very own home. And yet today on Christmas, as we have been preaching through this book for years, this is where we find ourselves. The son of a king who ended in ruin. And today we come to celebrate the son of the father, the king of kings and lord of lords, who did everything exactly the opposite and made a way for us to be saved. John chapter 3, 16 and 17, some of the most famous verses in the entire world says it best. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, this morning as we come to celebrate Christmas, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that there is only one way to be saved. You cannot be saved by works. You cannot be saved by doing good things. You cannot be saved by church attendance. You cannot be saved by the Lord's Supper or baptism. You cannot be saved by any other means other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By falling under conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognizing that you and I are sinners, rebels against a holy and perfect God, but that yet by grace and by mercy, He has extended an offer to you and I to repent of our sins, to trust Him, to call upon His name, and be saved. And the Bible says that if you will do that, if you will repent and call upon His name, you shall be saved. And so this morning as we come to celebrate Christmas, you say, Jake, that's the weirdest Christmas sermon I ever heard. I don't write them. I just tell you what God has in front of us. I think it's fitting that the day that we come to celebrate a son, to celebrate a king, we see the difference the difference that means everything to us. And so while you celebrate today thinking about Jesus in a manger, while you celebrate today thinking about what it would have been like for Mary, Joseph, while you hopefully read the Christmas story at your family gathering this afternoon, remember this one simple thing, that it was always God's plan that it was nothing like you and I would draw it up. It is nothing that an earthly father would ever do. It's nothing that an earthly king would ever do. But yet he did it all to save you and me.
from our sins. And so while you celebrate the birth of Jesus today, I pray that when you're around your family, your friends, that you will remember the value and plan and purpose that He put into place to save sinners. No matter how much they've hurt you, no matter how much they've lied about you, no matter how much you're ready to give up on them, that Jesus has a purpose and a plan for you and for them. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, while I know it's not normal, it's not traditional, Lord, I pray that it is exactly what you would have for this congregation. I pray, Lord, that it is where you have had us, knowing months and years ago that this is where we would be. Lord, that this would be the group of people that would be here. And so, Father, today I pray that your Holy Spirit has been speaking to the heart of the lost. Lord, that you have been speaking to the saved. And today, Lord, that you would allow us to truly look at why you came and to know that, Lord, it is nothing like what we would do. But yet you did it out of love for us. So, Father, I pray today for anyone that's in this place that doesn't know you, truly know you, that today, Lord, this would be the day that they would be saved. Father, for the believer that's struggling with forgiveness, or the, the believer that's struggling with witnessing, Lord, whatever it may be that's going into a family gathering with division, hurt, pain, I just pray that you'd speak to them, Lord. Speak to us as a congregation and make us who you want us to be. And so, Father, thank you for sending Jesus when it makes no sense to us. And I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.